This project was made possible with support from California Humanities, a nonprofit partner of the National Endowment for the Humanities. Visit calhume.org. From KVPR in Fresno. What comes to mind when you think of California? Hollywood? L.A.? San Francisco? Beautiful beaches? Celebrities? Wealth? I've lived in California for more than 20 years, and for most of them, I've reported on people who, like me, live outside the glamour of the Golden State, in the San Joaquin Valley, a region that is rarely considered important and is often maligned. And as a journalist, when I think of California, I think of the stories here, of the people I've met, like Olga and Manuel Jimenez, who voluntarily designed and built a 13-acre botanical garden in the town of Woodlake so that young people would have a place to learn about agriculture and get their hands dirty. Here, that's one thing that happens is that kids that are very quiet or kids that are sort of left behind, often they find friends here. I think of Jennifer Malone, who continues to keep the Wachumni culture and language alive in spite of all the challenges. And that means that we are still here. I think about a nine-year-old kid whose life changed after she joined a free boxing club in Avenal. My strong hand is just going into like the punch and it just feels like amazing to me. I think of the stories of the other California of the people who live in the small rural towns, of those who are indigenous, and those who have come here from other places, like me. I'm Alice Daniel, and this is... El Otro California. I live California, Otro. California, California, California. Chia. California. The other California, California. is the California. I live, I live the in other California. California. I was born where the Rocky Mountains meet the Great Plains, Boulder, Colorado. But at the age of six, my family moved to East Tennessee, where the Great Smoky Mountains rolled out past converging rivers and deep green farmland. I could see the blue peaks from where I ran barefoot and free in my hilly Knoxville neighborhood, peaks that rose above a lush temperate rainforest, one of the world's most biologically diverse regions, more frog and salamander species than you can count on your fingers and toes. Water was the evocative force of my childhood. Heavy day-long rains, whitewater rivers, deep puddles to stomp in, rocks and logs to overturn in search of tiny amphibians, fierce thunderstorms, meandering streams, the smell of rain on hot concrete. I'd lived in other places by the time my husband Ben and I first visited the city of Fresno in the year 2000, but coming from the southeast, I'd never seen anything like the hot, dry San Joaquin Valley, a vast agricultural spread that extends more than 300 miles from the Sacramento-San Joaquin River Delta in the north to the Tehachapi Mountains in the south. On a clear day, and there aren't enough of them due to the pollution that gets stuck here, you can see the coastal range to the west, the majestic Sierra Nevada to the east, the mountains, natural borders that separate this place from every other place. We were here in this other California looking for a place to live. Ben had accepted a job as a music professor at Fresno State, 
I had a position as a lecturer in journalism at the same school and would eventually pivot to radio reporting, but that was all in the future. At this point, we were camped out at an extended stay America in the bowels of a large homogenous body of strip malls. It was summer, July, the heat oppressive. I cried a lot. One of my closest friends from high school who was living in Nashville had just lost his child to brain cancer. My mom, meanwhile, was receiving treatment for breast cancer, and I was thousands of miles away from both of them in this strange world of flat roads, manicured lawns, ranch houses, and avenues lined with a beautiful but poisonous flowering shrub called oleander. The realtor suggested we look at a neighboring city where the schools were good and suburbia floated for miles and miles around a pretty town center. Its motto, Clovis, a way of life. I told her I'd hoped for an old house with wood floors and lots of windows. There's an older neighborhood in Fresno called the Tower District, she said. And then she implied the community there had a different bent. Take us there, I said. Houses were still affordable then, and we found a two-bedroom bungalow with a porch and high ceilings. Back in Knoxville, we packed up our stuff, put our two cats in the car, and followed the ribbon of Interstate 40 across the country. Knoxville, Nashville, Memphis, Arkansas, Oklahoma, Texas, New Mexico, Arizona, and then through the Mojave Desert, up over the Tehachapi Pass and down into Bakersfield, where we hit the dusty, busy spine of the east side of the San Joaquin Valley, Highway 99, a major thoroughfare of the other California. Like my cats, I went kicking and screaming. I made up a cheer that goes like this. F-R-E-S-N-O, N-O, N-O, no, no! The cats meowing and growling in the back seat. The author and historian Gerald Haslam coined the phrase, the other California. He grew up at the southern end of the San Joaquin Valley, just north of Bakersfield in Oildale. Also from there, Haslam's friend, country singer Merle Haggard. He understood, as I came to understand, I wasn't nearly as fast at it as he was, that California meant diversity. It meant lots of different kinds of people doing lots of different kinds of things. That's Haslam in a phone interview with me a couple of years ago. He died last year at the age of 84, and I feel lucky to have had this conversation. He says he met Haggard in grade school, and they remained friends. Haslam admired Haggard for his perspective. He did not close his mind to the uh, real ridges of American society. Did not close his mind to the real ridges of American society. Don't you love that? And it's that desire for a clarity about the reality of California, the real ridges, the distinctness of certain places, that led Haslam to define this region in his writing. Well, I called it the other California because I had come to sense relatively early on, because of the way my family was distributed in California, that where my cousins lived and where I lived were not the same place, even though they were both known as California. And uh, that there was also something generational going on because my 
My mother's Hispanic family up in the Bay Area didn't live in the same world I lived in. And everyone thought that where they lived was the definitive California. And the people who didn't, hadn't been to California thought the movies were California. So he set out to close that perception gap, to tell the stories and histories of the small rural towns he knew, the heritage of the Mexican vaqueros who had once characterized Kern County, the Dust Bowl migrants whom Haslam sometimes worked alongside growing up, migrants fictionalized in John Steinbeck's The Grapes of Wrath. It allowed, I thought, a better understanding of the state if you presented one important but largely ignored region as distinct so that the other regions might also be seen as distinct. To be sure, he was referring to the entirety of the Great Central Valley, which includes the San Joaquin Valley and the Sacramento Valley above it. It's not the California of movie stars and beaches, he wrote in his book Haslam's Valley, but it, quote, has an abundance of tenacious people of all colors, as well as miles and miles of farm and ranch land, rich oil fields, and communities churning with desperation, joy, passion, and hope, or the hope of hope. Pretty, not generally. Rich, for a few. Interesting, oh yeah. It was mid-August when we arrived in the other California and parked our car in front of our 1915 house. We ripped up the decades-old carpet, sanded the floors, and repainted the walls. Our new neighbors, Steve and Colin, helped us choose paint colors, install a drip system, and plant a fig tree, a peach tree, lavender, even some rose bushes. A year and a half later, Mike, the friend from Nashville who had lost his child, came to visit. Mike whose pervasive enthusiasm for life still bubbled beneath his despair. He walked through our house out to the backyard where an orange tree stopped him in his tracks. He yelled out to me, Al, you have an orange tree. He grabbed one and started peeling it, taking apart the wedges and eagerly popping them into his mouth. I still have a photo of him standing at our kitchen counter, oranges in hand, a wide smile on his face. I call him to see if he still remembers that day. He does. You go back and it's like a jungle of these tropical plants and, you know, oranges and lemons. I remember there's a pecan tree. It just seemed like you were in a totally different place. A totally different place, like no other, the other California. So much bounty in this Mediterranean climate of sizzling hot summers and colder winters Not just oranges and lemons and pecans, but hundreds of crops. Tomatoes, lettuce, carrots, garlic, onions, melons, almonds, pistachios, grapes, and on and on and on. The most productive agricultural region in the world. Some of which is likely in your kitchen right now. A totally different place. The richness of the population. A place of immigrants drawn to the land a place where so many people have arrived and still arrive with next to nothing in hopes of a better life, a place where literally dozens of languages are spoken. The vastness of this agricultural tapestry, along with the people it has attracted over the centuries, these are the reasons why my friend Mike, the visitor from Nashville, 
has always found this place so fascinating. It's like when you drive over the mountains from L.A., and then you come right down, and there's the San Joaquin Valley, and you literally drive right down into it, and it stretches on forever. It seems like you just went to a different country. And you're driving down Highway 99, and you look to your right, and there are 20,000 almond trees, and you look to your left, and there are oranges as far as the eye can see. I mean, there's no other place in the United States where you can have that feeling, to me. Mike and I go back to 10th grade when he just moved to Knoxville from Washington, D.C. I think now he might have more of a southern twang than I do. Part of that comes from being a lawyer and a politician. For me, the South has always been a place where I grew up, but not really where I'm from. In my neighborhood, we were outsiders, a large Catholic family in a sea of mostly Protestants. We were not from there. I was the youngest of six, and by the time I was growing up, my family had pretty much stopped going to Mass. So when I got the initial question in just about any new social interaction, what church do you go to? I found myself trying not to answer. Still, years later, when I went to graduate school in journalism in New York City, I assumed those outside the South, especially people from New England, were smarter than I'd ever be. I bought that stereotype. It bears saying that one of the smartest kids by far, at least in our First Amendment law class, was a Southerner from a small town in Kentucky. His lengthy, well-sourced answers sounded poetic, his smooth Southern drawl mesmerizing. Just saying. By the time I moved to the San Joaquin Valley, I well understood how place can be intertwined with feelings of inferiority or superiority. And it was no surprise to me that in a state with cities like LA and San Francisco, the valley would be disparaged. But even I was surprised by a reaction I got a few years after I moved here. I'd gone to visit my oldest brother in Boulder. We were at a party, and I found myself in a conversation with a man who seemed, well, pleased with himself. The man asked me where I lived. California, I said. He perked up. Where in California, he asked. (sighs) Here we go. Before we continue with this story, Let's leave him hanging for a bit. Let me just say that by that time, I'd been here long enough to know the kinds of responses people sometimes give when I say where I live. A sneer, a snicker, this notion of of they're superior and we're inferior. That's writer and organic peach farmer Moss Masamoto, an author worth discovering if you haven't. He lives in Delray, just south of Fresno, and he knows exactly what I'm talking about. Because it's so easy to, to sort of lower your voice and say, oh, I'm, I'm just from Fresno in an embarrassing way. Or you just say, oh, I don't want to talk about where I'm from. He wrote his daughter, Nikiko, a letter about this very topic when she left home for college at UC Berkeley. Dear Nikiko, soon, my daughter, you'll be off to college. And when people ask, where are you from, how will you respond Will you answer, I'm from Delray? He says no he wrote the letter based on his own experiences when he went away. So I ended up going to Berkeley, leaving the valley, uh, and realizing how different it was and how different we were. At that time, I thought it was because I was wrong. I, I, you know, the valley wasn't the right place. But I wanted to write this letter to Nikiko to wo- both warn her of what to expect, but also to understand that, no, where we may be 
different, but we're not inferior. Uh, we're, we're not necessarily misfits that don't belong. We belong in our own way, in our own way, and that's why we are part of the other California. I like this because it differentiates the valley, as opposed to, say, dismissing it. The valley is a vital part, not only of California, but the country, even the world. It's not less, it's just different. At the time Moss wrote this letter, all Nikiko could think about was leaving home and starting college. But now in her mid-30s, Nikiko, who is also a peach farmer, an activist, and an artist, has a different perspective on what her father meant. What I think my dad is calling for in that letter is a deep pride and strength in understanding what is indigenous to the valley. And that when people respond, oh, I think I've driven through there, they're missing out. And that there's good work here, good people here, and a really significant story of California is the story of the San Joaquin Valley. The good work, the good people, the role of the San Joaquin Valley in California's story. It's all right here, but getting back to the man I met at the party in Boulder who asked me where I lived, I knew none of that would matter to him. And I was right. When I answered Fresno, he didn't respond. He didn't even say a word. He just looked around and walked away. This was not the first time I'd gotten snubbed. In another instance, when I was out of state at a wedding party, I was introduced to two women, one from San Francisco, the other from LA. When they heard where I lived, they looked at each other and said, almost as if planned, ew, Fresno. There's a phrase some Southerners use for people like this, people who just don't quite get it. Wait, I'll get Mike to do it. Bless their hearts. Say it with a little twang. (laughs) Well, bless their hearts. Bless their hearts. Mike says some people, by preference or habit, are just unwilling to look beyond what is comfortable for them. I think they're shortchanging themselves with their conventional thinking. In this podcast, we are going to places that aren't on the conventional path. Small rural towns in the San Joaquin Valley that are rich with stories and unique histories. Places that play a role in shaping not only the other California, but the entire state. Our first stop, a vibrant botanical garden in the small citrus-growing town of Woodlake. This episode of The Other California was written and produced by me, Alice Daniel, mixing and sound design by Rob Spate, with editorial help from Polly Stryker, web support from Alex Burke, Technical support from Don Weaver. Joe Moore is our president and general manager. Special thanks to the KVPR news team, Mati Bolaños, Sarith Hawk, Carrie Klein, and Kathleen Schock. And a huge thank you to Omar Naray and Jim Karagosian, two Fresno-based musicians who provided music for this episode. You've been listening to The Other California. Okay, that was good. But do it one more time. Yeah, one more time. Well, bless their hearts. Okay, good. But you don't ever say that. Never, but that's fine. I don't mind.